How I Got Here, the inside stories of startups and innovation in travel and transportation with your hosts, FocusWire's Kevin May and Mozio's David Litwack. Thanks for joining us today for How I Got Here, Mozu and FocusWire's weekly podcast on innovation in travel and transpiration. Today, we're joined by Paul Metzler. Welcome, Paul. Thank you. Great to be here. So Paul founded Ovation Travel Group in 1984. And uh, in addition to Ovation Travel, it includes the brands Lawyers Travel and Chartwell Travel. And in 2019, did a total of $1.4 billion in sales. Ovation is one of the last independent travel agencies and actually never raised funding. Uh, in 2017, Paul also started Skylark, the next generation OTA that combines a higher level of human touch with technology for the high-end luxury leisure traveler. So Paul, we like to start every episode the same, with the same question. Uh, tell us how you got here. Yeah, so <laughs> it was quite a uh, roller coaster. And uh, so I was a young lawyer and uh, my father had a travel business that was struggling. And I was uh, essentially, mis- I was about a second year associate with a, uh, a Park Avenue law firm. And uh, I had grown up in the travel business. Uh, my parents had a uh, teen tour and then a, a travel agency. And uh, so I used to run teen tours in the summers and so on. And so I was um, a young lawyer and I just gotten married and I was 27. And my father uh, had this travel agency that was, as I said, struggling. And so uh, I came into the business uh, actually against their uh, better uh, judgment and wishes because basically my my family was in trouble and I thought as a young lawyer because I was so smart that uh, I'd turn the business around and go back to practicing law in six months. If I work out that way, <laughs> here I am 35, almost 36 years later uh, and um, I found myself, when I found myself in the travel industry, I looked around at competitors and I said, well, how am I going to compete with, um, you know, Carlson and American Express and all these big guys <clears throat> and a lot more resources. We, we were like, we did maybe $2 million a year in travel. And um, so I, I, I remembered back from my, uh, when I was a litigator, I was sort of the travel guy because I had a lot of knowledge about the travel business. And uh, I remember going to the airport with my boss, who was the head of the litigation department, and uh, I got these cheap uh, tickets uh, for us to fly to do depositions in LA or somewhere. And he looks at me and he says, what are you, nuts? Oh, we go first class. The client's paying the bill. And um, so I, I realized <laughs> when I found myself running this little travel business that uh, there was an opportunity there to uh, create a niche uh, that would help us fly under the radar of the big guys. And that's how we started. We essentially started as lawyers travel. Uh, I went door to door in New York, knocking on doors of law firms back in the mid 80s and uh, finally convinced one of them to become a client. And then I went across the street to another one and said, you know, such and such is is using us. Uh, you should too. I'm a young lawyer. I understand how lawyers travel. And in fact, they do travel differently. They change their plans constantly. Everything's last minute. And so uh, we created a brand that was uh, very uh, unique and enabled us to start growing. And then I guess um, through lots of trials and tribulations, uh, eventually we became 
who we are today. Uh, we rebranded as Ovation about 15, 16 years ago because what would happen was people would leave, uh, our clients would leave a law firm, they would go to a investment uh, bank and they'd say, well, you guys are great, but you just handle lawyers. So we needed a, a another brand. And so we created Ovation Travel Group. Uh, lawyers Travel still uh, a flagship of ours. And then we grew the leisure part of our business and we made investments in that part of the business and continued to grow. And, and uh, now I guess we're the largest independently owned travel management company in the U.S. Um, the reason we're still growing at uh, about 18 to 20% a year is uh, partly because we're independent. And so when we're going up against uh, larger competitors, uh, we're able to say, here's my card. I'm the CEO, founder, and chairman. If you have a problem, call me. And um, that uh, tends to resonate with uh, prospective customers. So that's, it's been a wild ride. Uh, it hasn't been all uphill. It's been, uh, you know, we went through, um, so I guess about three years ago, I had the honor of being nominated uh, here in New York for Entrepreneur of the Year and went through a process by, from Ernst & Young I, when I was up for, uh, to see whether they were going to uh, allow me to uh, get to the finals. I had to go before a panel of judges and they said, well, how, you know, how did you build a billion dollar travel business uh, between, you know, the internet and, uh, 9-11 and all the other things that your company went through. And, you know, I, I, I said, that's a great question. I, uh, <laughs> I think uh, persistence is probably the most important quality that helped me uh, get to where I am today. And so if I had any advice for anyone in the startup world, uh, that would be the one most important uh, quality to, uh, to just because people just think mm -hmm. up. <laughs> One of the things that uh, I pride myself on is I, I just never give up. And so here we are. Okay. Uh, hi, Paul. It's Kevin here. Uh, thanks thanks. so much for joining the show. Um, I, I'd, I'd love to know, going right back, what was the most um, kind of daunting part of starting it? Was it taking over something that was essentially from your father or a family you know, there was a family element to it? Or was it just the, was it daunting starting a business anyway or was it daunting going into a particular niche such as lawyers travel yeah you know one of the great things about being young and naive and being <laughs> you know thinking you're so smart was i had no idea what i was getting myself into um if i pro if i had been wiser and older i probably would have hesitated before i took on this this challenge of trying to turn around what basically was an insolvent business. I was advised to put the company into bankruptcy, but my parents were on the hook for hundreds of thousands of dollars. And I didn't, uh, you know, I mean, I liked the idea of being a white knight. And so I just basically hmm. put my nose down and I just started banging on doors and trying to get customers. And, and I actually hired a PR person way back, when in the beginning with, with like very little money and she was a she was a tiger she just got us incredible articles in the wall street journal and the front page and the times business section usa today it was the most unbelievable thing and then the business i started getting calls i remember getting a call from carl icon back when we had an, an article about us in the wall street journal about <laughs> lawyers travel and it was when he was chairman of twa and he calls me up to mount kisco and i'll never forget this and he has his vp of sales there 
And I remember they, they were trying to figure out how to get lawyers because, you know, lawyers all flew first class back then because the client <laughs> didn't bill. That was our business model, um, you know, to fly in TWA. And he had no, uh, it was totally seat of the pants. He, he's a brilliant guy. But I remember going to the bathroom, coming back like five minutes later, and their whole like national marketing strategy had changed because Carl had another idea about how to do it. And it was just um, watching this brilliant mind. Um, I mean, uh, I heard him years later at a travel conference and said, ever want a stock tip, uh, just short the travel business, the, the airline industry. <laughs> of course, that's all changed in the last few years because they finally figured out how to make money. But um, anyway, that's just an aside. So yeah, so um I'm not sure if I answered your question, but um, that's... Well, let me, I, I've kind of got a, it, it's a, a segue into this kind of follow-up, sure. really. I mean, given um, before we came on air, you were kind of giving us some history about your father's uh, business through the 60s and the 70s. Yes. Um, given that he did have a history in the industry, did he, <laughs> I, I say, do the right thing? Did he do the right thing and leave you alone to do it? Yeah. Well, so one, once you'd taken over, as it were, he, he, there was no more involvement. He wasn't saying, hang on, Paul, you want to probably do it this way or you want to do it that way. <laughs> so I, I was blessed with having a father who originally was a school teacher and was kind of like pushed by my mother to go into business. And okay. so he was sort of in over his head. He was so happy to step aside. And in fact, he gave up playing golf and just loved coming to the office. I'm, you know, sadly, he passed away about 10 years ago. Uh, but he got to um, watch the growth of the business and yeah. to revel in it. And so, you know, I've obviously behind me in my office. And um, so he he was able to uh, enjoy it. And it was, uh, you know, there are some fathers that could be very domineering. My father was the opposite of that. He was just so happy to have his son you know, sort of rescue the business, as it were, and uh, get them out from under. And eventually, I, I made my parents, uh, my mother had a successful leisure business, which I, which I merged into the, uh, the business, uh, the corporate business, and became uh, a, a brand called World Travel Specialist, when I then changed to Ovation. Uh, but I did, uh, you know, give them a stake in the business and bought them out a few years uh, oh, I don't know, I guess like 25 years ago now. So, um, and my mother actually still works for me, although uh, she's unfortunately in declining health, but she's been handling clients even up to the her mid to late 80s uh, for uh, many, many years, you know, very high-end leisure clients. Yeah. So, so it has been somewhat of a family business. Okay. Um, very cool. So you, you said something that I, I thought stood out. Um, you said that you uh, merged in your, your mother's leisure business, and you also said you guys expanded eventually under Ovation into leisure. Uh, and I think it's fairly rare that leisure and corporate sit under uh, the same you know, brands uh, or under the, under the same company. And of course, you got Expedia and Agencia, but those are essentially different companies. Um, you know, I'm curious how you thought about uh, your decision to move into that world and what the differences you, you think are. Yeah, so I actually think that they're mutually synergistic and, um, you know, because on the corporate side, we have uh, some very high profile clients and lawyers travel alone. That division handles over half of the AMLA 100, which are the 100 largest U.S.-based law firms. Um, and then, uh, you know, the other verticals that where we're focused are all very high end corporate financial services, investment banking, hedge funds, entertainment on the West Coast, uh, and then 
in London and so on. And so they really, we get tremendous amount of uh, leads, both uh, uh, leisure leads from corporate and corporate leads from our leisure agents, um, many of whom are, are very high profile independent advisors. So we have, uh, that's a significant part of our business as well, where we have um, independent advisors or contractors who handle their own clients uh, and, and do that through our platform. And so again, uh, it's mutually synergistic and if actually the margins, believe it or not, on the leisure side can be higher at times than the corporate side. Um, but uh, the corporate business is somewhat an, like an annuity. If you take good care of your corporate customers, uh, they will continue to renew their contracts. And so that business is a, is a really good business too. Um, and, uh, you know, a decent margin business. So you said something uh, interesting there. You said uh, independent advisors. Are you referring to like your host agent, a host agency model? Yes, that's correct. So that's actually it's something that's uh, I don't think we've spoken about in about 30 episodes at this point of this podcast. Um, you're also affiliated with BCD, which is one of the, the big, uh, you know, other big TMC. So could you explain kind of what that relationship is like, your relationship with BCD and also your relationship with these agencies? Because I'm not sure most of our listeners probably know what a host agency is. And it took me years to kind of figure out that web of connections. Yeah. So, you know, we don't really think of ourselves as a host agency. I mean, I would say if you break down our business, we're about 75% corporate, about 20% very high-end leisure, where we have um, independent advisors and affiliates. Um, so it's not like, the, we're not like a, a host agency in that we have thousands of those folks. We have uh, really a, a bunch of very high quality people. Um, so if we have 800 employees, which we do, and we have about another 200 um, in the independent advisors or affiliates uh, on that side of the business. And um, then, um, I'm sorry, what was the second part of your uh, question, which I was about to respond? Oh, just like BCD travel, your oh, relationship BCD, with them right. in both ways. Yeah, yeah. So all the affiliate relationships I found in corporate travel to be yes. very confusing. Yeah. So um, years ago, we were a member of Radius, which was a consortium of corporate travel management companies. Um, and what happened was uh, we were losing business because the clients said, well, you know, we really want one throat to choke um, corporate clients now. And um, so we approached uh, BCD. We looked at a couple of the models and um, we, uh, we um, became their largest global affiliate. So for any business outside the U.S. and you know, with, with a small exception in London, where we do have a presence, uh, we're now able to, we essentially become a global company. So BCD can provide the fulfillment for us. And it's a mutually beneficial arrangement because we refer business into them uh, outside North America. They refer business to us. Sometimes it's uh, very high end and they want a real bespoke uh, service on the corporate side. And so it's it's been a it's been a great relationship for us uh, over the years and it's grown significantly to the point where I think they make a lot of money from us and they, we, they, they enable us to have a global platform. Very cool. Like this is a little bit of a in the weeds question, but 
Um, I, I think this is, it was a huge uh, learning curve for me. You know, Mozio has been in business for nine years and I think it probably took me about that much time to figure out, you know, leisure consortiums and, you know, the consortiums among the TMCs and the host agencies and the, what is a TMC and OBT and then some people launch with both and you know, like it gets incredibly confusing. And I'm curious if you're more bullish on, like, do you think, consortiums like that are the way of the future do you think vertical integration like the travel banks next travel trip actions are the way of the future like when it comes to these kind of affiliate and partnership relationships do you have a particular opinion about what uh you know what's going to be, be happening next yeah so you know i mean i think eventually um it's going to become uh globally it will become more seamless but right now, there's no perfect solution, and everybody's uh, sort of got a jury-rigged solution. And I think our solution, where we handle uh, North America and we have one uh, partner everywhere else in the world, is probably uh, the best solution that's out there. Because there is nobody that owns all of their uh, businesses in every part of the world, including BCD, including Amex, by the way. And so, it, it, you know, I think eventually it's going to move in that direction. Uh, but uh, right now, this, this works very well for us. And we must be doing something right because we're growing. It's still growing at 20% year over year. And so, uh, you know, I think our business model, particularly since we're very hands-on, we own our own company, you know, again, uh, it's, our clients can call us, uh, we, we run the business, we come to the office every day and answer the phone, my three partners and I, and we've got a fantastic uh, executive team, uh, you know, on our executive committee. So, you know, we're very hands-on and that's how we're able to continue to grow the business on the corporate, you know, and the leisure side. Uh, Paul, interesting that, that the conversation that we've just been having around consortia and things like that and the affiliations with bcd and others in if we apply that to the history of the company when did that start to materialize after your kind of formation in the in, in the mid 80s when did you start having to or did you have to seek those kind of partnerships or did they kind of arrive in a different kind of way yeah, well, we always saw the handwriting on the wall that we needed to be a global company if we were going to compete and continue to grow, even f as far back as the 80s. I mean, we were originally a member of what I what I mentioned before, of Radius, um, which are, you know, is a consortium of independently owned uh, TMCs around the world. The problem was with things like data collection and risk management, uh, you, you really couldn't, it didn't present a seamless uh, uh, solution. And so we needed that. And uh, BCD as our partner globally was able to, uh, to give us that. And, you know, similar on the, on the leisure side, we're one of the largest members of Virtuoso, which you're probably familiar with, because uh, we do a lot of very high-end leisure business. And so you get tremendous leverage by partnering. Uh, I don't know if you, you know, call it co-opetition, whatever you want to call it, but um, it, by partnering with organizations that uh, can, uh, you know, fill in the blanks of, of what you don't uh, possess. Uh, because, you know, in our business, uh, there aren't unlimited funds uh, and we, we, you know, we can't, uh, we can't go and buy uh, companies all over the world to become American Express. That's just uh, not something that is economically feasible. And, um, you know, you've, whether it's famously or not, it often is when we're talking to startups. I mean, you haven't raised any money 
with Ovation, and we're going to come to the other business that you've you've been involved in in the last couple of years. But give us your sense around why you haven't raised any money. Is it because you were you know you were running on your own revenues and your own profits and things like that, or was it lack of opportunity, or or what was the kind of scenario that led you to not having to raise any money? That's a funny question because it never even <laughs> would occur, have occurred to me. Uh, I started in the mid '80s. Uh, well, mean, the, 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 then, the, the reference point here is because there are so many other corporate travel agencies that are raising eye-watering amounts of money in these days. Mm-hmm. So I just, I, it's your perspective. I'm, I'm yeah. curious about here. Yeah, no, I, I, I you know, it, it just. Um, I mean, we had basically, an, you know, an insolvent business and uh, there yeah. wasn't anybody uh, who had half a brain. I mean, I had a, one rich uncle and I remember having a conversation with him to try to convince him to give me, you know, loan me 25 grand to, uh, you know, help get this business going. And uh, he basically turned me down. So, you know. <laughs> just had a bootstrap it wasn't a choice it wasn't like uh there wasn't the the venture capital world that there exists today back in yeah. the 80s it just didn't exist and so you know i just never thought of that as a possible avenue even when the business started to prosper um and then we were pretty much self-sustaining you know by the end by the early 90s i would say we were uh look it took years where we started making money. And um, I remember having to, you know, tell my wife, uh, you know, we, I need a check to make payroll. I mean, there were, there were some really rough times, you know, not to mention uh, we went through, uh, you know, 9-11. Uh, the business had started to grow quite a bit and we were flatlined at, uh, after 9-11. I had an office in the trade center. I remember uh, having, uh, we had one employee was a dedicated onsite for a law firm and she walked from the 57th floor of One World Trade all the way to her family's house in the Bronx. She still works for me, by the way, and, co- you know, covered with the ashes. She just, uh, that was, so we were, we were essentially out of business. And then we thought nothing could be worse than 9-11. And um, the global financial crisis hit uh, on September 15, 2008. My wife and I were in the south of France. Not only was it raining at the Hotel de Cap, but I got a call from my CFO. <laughs> we're off set. You know, we need to start laying people off. Um, it, that was the day that Lehman uh, went filed for bankruptcy. So, right. you know, these are the, you know, the, I mean, it, it sounds like a, a, it was just an up uh, story, but it was a roller coaster. I mean, there were several times that we flatlined and we had to rebuild the business. And I have to say, every time uh, we did that, you know, competitors fell away. We redoubled our efforts. We figured out how to get in front of it. And right now, you know, we're worrying about the same thing, this coronavirus. Who the hell knows what's going to happen with this crazy, you know, it's, it's worse. More people have died now than SARS, which was, you know, a debacle for our international travel business a few years back. And, uh, you know, but I, I guess the good news is that, you know, what Nietzsche said, uh, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Every yeah. time we've gone through one of these crises, we've, we've emerged as, as a stronger company. Competitors have fallen away, and you know we've been we benefited from that. And here so, we are, last man standing. <laughs> Indeed, and just just interesting. You've said uh, twice there now. You know you've picked yourself up, and you've you know rethought through the business. Give us an example of what you've had to do from an industry perspective, whether it was partnerships with your suppliers or whether it was your customer base of lawyers. What did you have to do to kind of reinvigorate the business after um, you know 
things such as 9-11 yeah. and the global financial crisis? No, that, that's a great question. I mean, <laughs> just going back to 9-11, I mean, leaving aside, you know, being the, a large New York-based travel company and uh, watching the smoke from my Upper East Side, uh, uh, you know, apartment uh, downtown and, and thinking of, you know, just the human uh, scale of, of what had happened. Our VP of operations, uh, Brendan O'Connor at the time, uh, lost his brother-in-law, who was a fire captain who ran into the building, lost two kids. His, his uh, other brother-in-law, the younger brother, was the one who, on the uh, concert for New York that Paul, where Paul McCartney performed was the one who got onto at Madison Square Garden, got on national TV and said, Osama bin Laden, you can kiss my royal Irish ass. That was, um, so we were, you know, we, we were effectively done. What we did was we knew we had a loyal client base uh, comprised at that time, um, mostly of law firms and financial service companies. And we basically went to them and said, you know, we need you to advance us uh, money so that we can make our payroll. And to our uh, you know, because everyone was so, every, the whole country came together at that point. And, and anyway, I would say everybody we approached, all of our key clients, key customers, they all did it. They all gave us money. They all, it was kind of like, you remember, it's a wonderful life when George Bailey comes back. <laughs> He says, I want to live and everybody comes yeah. and sings, you know, old Lang Syne and they all help each other and, <laughs> and they sing. And uh, it's just, that was what it was like. It was like that scene in It's a Wonderful Life. And, uh, and fortunately that enabled us to, um, you know, to survive. God, I'll never forget. Uh, two months later, if you recall, I think it was either two months after 9-11. Remember that plane went down in Queens, uh, yeah. at, uh, yeah. that American Airlines flight, and everybody thought, oh, I was on CNN that morning being interviewed because they said, oh, it must be terrorism. And I, and I said to the, I don't remember who it was, time, but I said, oh, God, I hope it wasn't. And it turns out it was a, it was a I think it was a mechanical failure. Yeah. At down but you know everybody was so on eggshells at that point and we just had to you know put our nose to the grindstone and just and just focus and and that's when we actually made the decision to focus outside the legal industry and rebrand and uh, that really helped uh create event, uh, more opportunities for us you know on a, in other vertical markets that sort of looked and felt like law firms you know very high-end travel uh, lots of hand-holding uh, and very lucrative because lots of premium business and the airlines rewarded us for that because we, we now control a fair amount of premium, uh, business, uh, particularly across the Atlantic. Very interesting and touching stories. And it's, uh, <laughs> not just uh, rank capitalism out there, I suppose, when it comes to tragedies like that. So, um, that's awesome. Um, I wanted to, to move the conversation a little bit uh, towards what you've been up to the last few years here. So you launched Skylark, and I thought you had a, you know, a great insight that you explained around kind of how lawyers travel differently, and you're able to kind of like focus on that niche and land and expand. And it, I'd love to understand what the insight was around Skylark. Sure. So I, I've said this, uh, and, uh, and Paul Tempowski, my CEO and partner in that business, will laugh because uh, I've said this several times uh, when we were trying to raise money. And, um, uh, you know, I've had two, 
two good ideas since I left my law practice 35 years ago. The first was Warriors Travel, and the second was Skylark. And if you look at our business, um, you know, as a uh, a circle, uh, look as our cu- at our customer, who's a very high-end corporate traveler. We essentially have half of that uh, high-end customer. So how do you increase share of customer? And what they weren't using us for was for leisure travel. And so we thought that there was an opportunity to create an offering and particularly to be digital and to, um, you know, uh, create essentially the first digital luxury travel agency. That business started, it's now, I think, five years. Um, I never raised money before. I never want to do it again. It was a miserable, horrible experience. Uh, <laughs> it, it was basically, I went to my friends and family and I said, you know, I started this uh, billion dollar company, and, you know, I can do this. And I essentially raised all the money. Um, the good news is the business is now at the point where it's on a really solid footing. We've got a great partner in a group called 25 Madison that recently invested a lot of money in the business and brought in some other folks. And, a, and the business, we had our biggest month ever in January. And people are buying luxury vacations online. And it's an, it's an incredible, exciting uh, opportunity for um, both businesses because, again, um, there, there's mutually, they're mutually synergistic. It's a completely separate company, uh, separate board and everything. But um, I knew that if I had started Skylark under the auspices of Ovation, it, it would have died. It would have been stillborn, stillborn uh, because, you know, my marketing folks at Ovation, they have a day job and they weren't going to be able to devote uh, the full time to create and make Skylark successful. It's like, so we needed a skunk works and that's exactly what, uh, what we did. We incubated it and, uh, actually they're still in our space, which we, where we just moved to 6663rd Avenue, just like 40,000 square feet. And the business is, uh, is performing really well. And it's very exciting. I think the future is very exciting, uh, for that, for that particular business. But John can, you, Chairman. can you delve a little bit deeper into, so, that I, I think there's one key insight there that is, is super cool is that like you already had half of this customer's experience already in, in corporate and moving into leisure. But so what was what was the insight around what you needed to solve to make people buy luxury vacations online? And was it like, you know, I said it at the very beginning, you guys combined a higher level of human touch with technology yeah. was was I mean, was that it? Like You just needed a person more involved in the standard OTA or what was that insight? Yeah, so it was a combination of, you know, great touch and great tech. I mean, you have you have to have the great, you know, we created an OTA from scratch. Um, obviously, it, we had an, an enormous um, advantage because Ovation had relationships uh, with, like, for example, we have incredible net deals on business and first class travel because of the relationships that Ovation had. We buy over a billion dollars of air travel premium from you know the major airlines. And so we were able to leverage those relationships and put that content into Skylark excuse me, as well as the um, hotel relationships uh, uh, that we had as well on the high end. And so, um, yeah, so that's been, uh, that's been made a tremendous uh, uh, difference. And, and so the combination of uh, high touch and high tech is what we are, we, we think we've perfected. You know, you can go on Skylark and you can 
You can book your own vacation. If you have a problem, you can chat with us. And the same uh, great service that we provide in our Ovations le Leisure uh, uh, department, we're providing through Skylark, through luxury travel advisors, if you need us. You know, you don't necessarily have to, but if you're in the Seychelles and you get called back to a deal where you have to, you know, leave your trip early or whatever it might, any kind of travel disruption, you can always rely on on Skylark to uh, be able to speak to a, a human and not have to, you know, like you go to Expedia and you're basically, you know, you're screwed. Uh, there's, there's nobody with a brain that you could talk to. Most of the OTAs <laughs> are like that. And so, you know, Skylark dif is differentiated in the sense that uh, we've we figured out a way to combine high touch and high tech for luxury travelers. Uh, and it's amazing, the demo, the demographics, it's, it's older than you would think. It's not just, you know, millennials with money. It's, it's, uh, the demographics are, are, are really exciting. And we're, we're getting a lot of um, tremendous repeat business in that, in Skylark. So we're really excited about that. Awesome. So you actually said something there like, uh, you know, Expedia, you can't talk to anyone with a brain. And um, I, as a, an example I often use with, for budding travel entrepreneurs when, when I talk to them is, um, you know, Expedia and Booking Group uh, are number one and two on the travel weekly list, but numbers three through 50 um, are all TMCs, high-touch travel agencies, a bunch of brands that most people haven't heard of other than maybe American Express. And like like the death of the travel agent and the in-person, you know, interaction uh, or interaction with a real person, excuse me, uh, it has been kind of highly exaggerated. And so I I'm curious if you have an opinion on um, the role of humans in uh, either luxury travel or corporate travel, uh, travel industry in general, going forward, what, what is their role? So, I, you know, I think it depends on your business model. I mean, you know, trip actions and some of the other new entrants, um, I think they think of it a little differently than we do. Um, look, in our corporate business, we are handling uh, travel for the most demanding kind of corporate customers that there are. They're, you know, bankers and lawyers and entertainment executives and celebrities and, and, and they require a certain amount of, I mean, I call it prima donna travel and that's our expertise. And so I think that there will always be a need for a human uh, with respect to part of the transaction at least, and certainly with respect to disruption. So you can create the greatest app in the world, but uh, I, 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 you know, at some point, um, you know, somebody's going to have a problem and that's where the rubber meets the road. And so look, it, we're, we're increasingly online. I mean, our, our corporate business, I think, is up to, you know, 40, 40%, 50%, something like that in terms of transactions. But those are commoditized transactions. Uh, the rest of it, if you're doing complex international travel or you need us to provide, you know, sort of concierge level services where you're working on a deal or you're on a road show to do an IPO and you need, uh, you know, you have to make sure everything is absolutely bespoke because you've got, you know, a billion dollar deal at stake. You want to make sure that there's a human being who is smart on the other side of the chat or uh, email or however you want to communicate. And you can communicate with us in any way you like. We are totally agnostic to that. So that's, that's, I don't see that changing. I think, uh, you know, it's always going to require some, de some degree of human touch, at least our business. Yeah, I have to say I respect the fact that 
you guys have seemed to do a lot of internal entrepreneurship right now around Skylark in particular and rebranding. And um, one thing I've noticed is that there's often a lot of, uh, you know, big companies that's getting trendy in the airline world to have an, you know, an incubator or a venture capital firm or something. And usually I joke whenever someone hires a chief innovation officer, that person is the only person doing innovation at the company and nothing, you know, ever changes or happens. And you guys seem to have created, you know, I don't know if it's just personality driven by you, but, you know, how have you thought about staying nimble? You, you do seem to not be stuck in this kind of very, um, you know, people are the only thing that matter that I do see some TMCs like say, and they, they poo poo technology and you seem to have a good balance. And how, how do you stoke that innovation within Ovation Travel? Yeah, well, gee, uh, we, we, we must continue to innovate and must be a technology company. Maybe not first. I mean, I think if we had to say, you know, what we're best at, we're a great sales and marketing driven organization, but we're also great at figuring out what technology we need to use to help facilitate the provision of high touch service, whether it's on the corporate or leisure side. And, um, and that's just something that's uh, axiomatic. I, if you're going to try to build a business today and just say, you know, we're not going to invest in tech and we're going to rely on great people, uh, good luck to you because you're not going to, maybe you'll succeed, maybe you'll make a little, maybe you'll make a living, but you're not going to scale and you're not going to, you know, and it depends on what your goals are. You know, my goal personally is to continue to build my business. And because I'm finally at the point where after 35 years, I'm luxuriating in this business, having gone through so much disruption and so many times being, you know, basically flatlined out that, you know, at this point we have, uh, look, I, there are always things. I mean, as I said before, now we're dealing with a coronavirus, which I, I just wrote an article on LinkedIn about. And, uh, you know, we, we got to get ahead of it because who knows how uh, how much that's going to affect us. But, um, you know, this is a business that is really tough and it's, and it's a low margin business and it's constant pressures. And it's, you know, whether you're in a startup or whether you're in a business like like my main business, which, uh, you know, I bootstrapped, uh, this is not for the faint of heart, our industry. You really got to have, you got to stick to it. You got to keep your, if you have, they believe, you know, passionately in your, in your vision, you know, you just got to stick your nose to the grindstone and, and, and just keep, keep at it. And eventually you, if hopefully you'll succeed, you may have to a few times with your business model, uh, but, uh, you know, it's it's a tough business, but it's a rewarding business at the end of the day, I think. I've got a couple of, uh, a few more questions from me, Paul, before we, we start wrapping up. We're conscious of uh, your and our listeners' time today. And it, it's interesting, you know, by the time you, you, you were involved in the new business, your, you know, uh, Ovation had been around for, what, nearly 30 years at that point. Um, which, so it would have its own culture and something that's grown organically. How did you find it as a as an executive and then someone that was invested and involved in a startup? That kind of change in culture that there often exists between a startup mentality and an established business mentality, or were they actually quite similar? Yeah. So. <laughs> 
That's an interesting question. I, I think we um, transferred a lot of the culture of um, innovation and, um, you know, persistence and creativity from Ovation to Skylark. And I think we put a lot of that in the Skylark DNA. Um, and, uh, you know, it's exemplified by the, the people that work there. I mean, they're mm. all really young, smart kids who love the travel space and, um, you know, we basically help each other. We've actually learned on the Ovation side, we've learned a, th a, a few things from Skylark because they're much more of a technology-focused business and uh, we're much more of a people-focused business. So there yeah. are, you know, learnings on both sides that have helped, uh, you know, each business uh, separately. And uh, yeah, last one for me. I mean, we have so many founders and startups tuning into this, uh, to, to, to this particular podcast. Given the length of time that you have existed and you've remained independent, there will be many people listening in that would be thinking that, okay, over that time, they must have had approaches for mergers or acquisitions and um, they either didn't work out or you resisted them. Now, that's a common kind of dilemma that many startup founders have to have to grapple with at some point is whether if an offer comes in whether they should take it um let's right. let's assume that perhaps those opportunities have come your way over the years what is many what is times. what did yeah so what were the decisions that you took to stay the course that you were on rather than um dare we say take the money and run you know i, I that's a great question and one that obviously my partners and i have grappled with for years because candidly um, you know, we, we get approached on a regular basis, whether it's from strategic uh, potential buyers or private equity firms. And, um, you know, we've essentially turned them down because we believe up until, you know, I mean, as of today, uh, because we believe strongly that we can create more value by continuing to be independent. And yeah. if that ever were to change and we were ever to think that, you know, we're, we're better off uh, combining with another business or uh, some other, you know, combination or, or, or doing, you know, or selling the company or part of the company, um, that has not happened. And I don't see it happening anytime soon as long as we're uh, growing at the rate we're growing, which is 20% year over year we're continuing to uh, create value and we own that value. And so that's a, that's a pretty exciting place to be. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, having said that I'm 63 uh, and um, at some point in the future, you know, if the right opportunity arose, I, I you know, I'm always open to having conversations, but um, I love what I do. My partners and I, you know, again, we come to the office every day. We, we get we're intimately involved in running the business and uh and we're continuing to create value so that's uh we'll see what happens in the future great david very cool so last question here you had this great insight around lawyers and the way they traveled a great insight around high-end luxury travel and kind of merging uh you know the high touch and the, the uh, really solid tech so if you had to start a tmc or let's even make it more general, a, a travel business, because the Skylark wasn't a TMC. Um, you know, what insights do you see in the market? And I say you, you said you'd only had two good ideas, but I'm, I'm counting on maybe a third here uh, as well. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, what worked well for me uh, is a niche focus. And, um, 
you know, I don't think that we've figured out the last niche in the travel space. I think to the extent that you want to start and you have a great idea, like, like you have uh, David and uh, Mozio. And uh, I mean, there's so many startups and, and there's, there's a lot of, uh, yeah, you know, there's a lot of uh, uh, challenges right now in the OTA space that, uh, you know, Expedia just went through a big uh, reorg and, you know, uh, there's a lot of uh, issues now. And I think that there's going to be multiple opportunities if you come up with the right uh, idea uh, that there's going to be money to back that idea. I mean, I'm certainly somebody that would be happy to, you know, uh, look at an idea. And uh, if there's some way that either me personally or Ovation can add value, I would love to uh, get involved because, I, again, I love the travel space. So, you know, that's, that's what it's all about. And I think that there's going to be more and more opportunities uh, to figure out something unique and creative in, in our space as, uh, as time goes on. So. so for those of you who didn't hear that, that was an open call to solicit angel investment from Paul Metzler. <laughs> <laughs> uh, cool. Well, uh, thanks for joining us today, Paul. It's been great to get the insights behind your business and, and growth. And uh, this has been How I Got Here, Mozio and FocusWire's podcast with Kevin May from FocusWire and myself, David Litwack from Mozio. And thanks for joining us, Paul. That was great to talk to you guys today. Thanks. Thanks, Paul. All right. My pleasure. Take care. Thanks for listening to the How I Got Here podcast. We'll be back next week with more inside stories behind startups and innovation in travel and transportation. Check mozio.com slash move for a complete write-up of the highlights of every podcast with translations into five languages. And get your daily dose of news on the digital travel economy by subscribing to the newsletter at focuswire.com. See you next week.